0: Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. Hey, Francesco. Hey, what's up, guys? So uh, who, who's this guy?
1: <laughs> this is Francesco. This is my buddy Francesco. He's here to uh, to tell us some things about hidden Markov models. Hidden
0: Markov models. Where are they? They're hidden, Under Ben. the table. <laughs> You're listening to Linear Digressions. Awesome. So hidden Markov models, um, I guess before... So, I don't know a lot about hidden Markov models, but what I do know about is Markov chains. And it seems like that's a good place to start since they're very related. So if you haven't listened to our episode on Markov chains, the general principle is you have a bunch of points along a chain. This could be a good example that we used in our previous episode was your route to work. And every time you get to an intersection, there's a different probability for whether you turn left or go straight or turn right. And the thing that makes Markov chains really cool is that when you can use them in your analysis, they're very computationally cheap because you don't have to, whether you turn right or straight or left, not it doesn't matter what you did at the last intersection. All that matters is the probabilities for the intersection that you're at. And so that makes it computationally very cheap to do, which means your models can run really quickly, which means maybe you can do analysis on a lot of different data points or features or whatnot. Uh, So if you want more information on Markov chains, you can go back and listen to our episode on it. So what's this hidden Markov model business?
1: So the hidden Markov models actually came out of the the episode that we did about the UM detector, this little Uh, project of mine. How's that going? (laughs) I'm trying to graduate, Ben. It is not going very quickly. (laughs) However, my thesis is getting written, so I'm happy. So uh, Francesco got in touch with me. hes uh, I'll let him introduce himself in a second. But he had some ideas about how hidden Markov models were applicable to basically speech recognition and trying to understand when you're in the state of saying, um, using hidden Markov model as sort of the machine learning uh, algorithm that's underlying the its the engine of the car that you're trying to drive here. Uh, and so he and I got to, to chatting about it a little bit. And so we decided to just like bring him in here because he... Actually, know something about hidden markup models, whereas I would just be kind of futzing my way through it. Um, so, that's yeah. That's
0: so, what caused you to get in touch with us?
2: So, I'm actually a fan of the show. I really like Woo! it. Woo! Yay, I know. Wild. Anyway. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, okay, maybe you're not as excited as I am. That's pretty cool. We we're pretty that excited. Means, that means we have at least one listener. No, I know. Well, two, two, two listeners. My mom is one. Oh, uh, that's so my mom's nice. Not. Actually, I don't think my mom listens to this podcast.
1: Yeah, I don't want my, my dad to listen might, to it. My, my dad Your might. dad listens to he it. He likes anything. math. Yeah.
0: Anyway, so, so you but, were
2: listening.
1: Uh, yeah, I loved it.
2: And, um, well, I was listening to it. And um, one of the things that came natural to me, so uh, my, my background is in uh, computational biology, which it's kind of like a hybrid between computer science and molecular biology. And the idea is that uh, we have this large, you know, data sets, large genomes, and we want to be able to understand and use, use statistics and uh, probability theory to find patterns inside our, you know, the genes that are being sequenced. And one of the tools that we use a lot is um, HMMs or hidden market models. And when I was listening to the Undetector podcast episode, uh, it, it, it seemed like it would be, uh, using an HMM for that problem would be perfect because of the way they're structured, and because they deal very well with sequential data.
0: Yeah, so one of the problems I remember you were talking about, Katie, when you were starting to build the Um detector, is that audio is a lot of features, a lot of data points, if you will. Uh, In fact, 44.1 thousand data points per second. That's (laughs) the the sampling rate of an audio file, uh, typically, or 48k. But regardless, it's a very, very large number. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that means that a one-second um lasts 44.1 thousand data points long. And so you can't just look at a data point or two data points and figure out if you're in an um. Instead, you have to find a way of looking at a large portion of of the sample and take a look at 44,000 data points, which can be computationally expensive and also is difficult because you don't know how long the um will be. So it could be half a second long, it could be 20,000, it could be 40,000 samples.
1: Right, and the other thing that I would add in there that we're taking for granted, but that's important to point out is that those samples have to occur in a very specific order for us to call it an um.
0: If you were to take them,
1: you jumble them up and then you put them all back together in some random order, it's going to be noisy, but it's not going to be an um anymore. So there's a a, a temporal sequence to it that's very important, and that's one of the things that the hidden Markov models do really well is they look for not just as you said single points, but points that occur in sort of a very specific relationship to one another.
0: So then, what what would be a good example of uh, of using a hidden Markov model?
2: So um, this is uh, something that like I heard, you know, when I was learning about um, hidden marker models and sort of like, this is like a toy example. Imagine you're going to um, Vegas, you're going to a casino and you're playing a uh, dice game against the house. Okay. So somebody on the uh, other side of the table is going to toss uh, dice at you and you're relying on the assumption that you know everybody's playing fair, the dice, the dice are not loaded, etc.
0: So there's a six, there's a two, there's a five. Exactly. All of these individual data points don't really tell me much about whether the house is playing fair but maybe taken together they would yeah
2: so imagine for example like the guy working for the house is tossing the dice so you record all the numbers then uh once you know you're not looking at him is secretly swapping dice and he's getting a uh, loaded dice and then he starts mm. tossing them and maybe you start seeing an increasing probability of I having mean, you know you see more sixes more fives a little bit higher okay so for that time he's cheating every that time he's cheating then of course because you know if you keep doing it you're going to get caught so what going to what what he's going to do next and then let's went back with the uh, regular dice and he's going to play this game you know oh, like a, interesting changing dice every once in a while and the idea is that by doing it you know uh well enough uh you might not perceive it yet
0: the house wins so, so even if there are more sixes than there are ones it's not necessarily easy to look at the you can't look at the entire
2: yeah it's like you you basically like if, if you just if you just look at them it's like you're not gonna get it's not gonna be like so because it because the dice are changing and they're changing yeah. fairly frequently you're gonna you're not gonna see like a blatant pattern where everything is like a six so you're not gonna catch that the, the house is actually cheating But, if you take the data, if you actually take the series of numbers that came out of uh, each um, die roll, uh, and then you have a hidden Markov model, for example, um, in these models, basically, the idea is that you can have a state that describes, for example, the die, whether the die that was used in that particular die roll was was a regular die, or uh, a, a loaded die that would, you know, produce maybe more sixes or fives. You can run these models across the whole series of um, these die rolls, which are technically called observations. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that you attach, by running the model, you attach um, a state to each observation. So for example, the stretch, uh, the stretch of uh, die rolls that were um, uh, created with the regular die in the first round, uh, you Ideally, you would expect to see uh, labels of a regular die attached to them. Then when you're switching, uh, the if everything works fine, the hidden macromolar should recognize that there's been a switch. Maybe not perfectly, but very, very close.
0: Okay, so what I hear you saying is you've got different Markov chains for different die. So you might have the fair die where every single time you come to that metaphorical intersection, you have a sixth, one-sixth chance of going one or two or three or four or five or six. And so that Markov chain would represent a fair die being rolled over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And then you might have a second Markov chain for a loaded die, which maybe has instead of one sixth all the way across, you've got uh, some slightly smaller probabilities on the lower end of the spectrum and higher probabilities for the higher numbers. And the hidden Markov model, rather than looking at the individual die rolls, it instead tries to figure out of these particular of this set of die rolls is that consistent with our first markov model with the fair die or the second markov model of the loaded die
2: that's true that's that's actually a very accurate description of what you're doing um, the thing the key thing is that the main thing on top of a, of a markov chain a simple markov chain is that you all set the probability of switching between the regular die and the loaded die in that is, is getting taken into account. So let's say that the, the it's a it's a very infrequent event. So for example, most of the time you stay with one die, uh, then you you switch very rarely to the you know the loaded die. Oh. Right. And then when you're in the loaded die, you don't stay on the loaded die for a very long time because you're gonna get caught.
0: I see. So if you take that into account, and then you all of a sudden you start seeing maybe you see two or three sixes in a row, that's within the realm of possibility. Uh, It is unlikely, but it's possible that they're actually still rolling a fair die. Yeah. So what you have to do is you need to you by taking those into account, you can figure out, um, although this is unlikely, is it more likely that I got three sixes in a row with a fair die, or that the person switched dice on me? Mm -hmm. Precisely. I see. Now, of course, that's a bit of a contrived example because you never really know the, the probability of a loaded die, nor do you know the probability of the house cheating on you. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it, it does illustrate the point pretty well. So what's another example of when we might use this? Stock market? Yeah. So
1: Yeah, this was an idea we were kind of kicking around is that maybe there's different kind of modes that the stock market operates in. I don't know if this is actually true, but the stock market is a good example because it, again, is sort of time sequence data and what happened yesterday has some bearing on what's going to happen today. And the hypothesis you might have is that there's sort of a regular baseline behavior for the stock market where it fluctuates around and it mm-hmm. slowly grows. Um, but then the, there are also very weird events that can happen like crises or panics. Um, and so then all of a sudden things become much more erratic and they might, you, know, you might have big downtrends where you, most of the time you usually don't have downward trends uh, just during the day-to-day operation of the stock market. Um, and so at any given point, uh, you might not know exactly if you're in sort of a bad state or a regular state. Um, you just know what the stock market returns look like. Um, but if you see a series of very erratic movements all in a row, uh, that that's a sign for you that, um, that maybe something is, is not right. However, if you just see like one day where things are, are a little bit – are much higher or much lower, and then after that they return to normal – that it's, it's robust against classifying that as a crisis, because obviously if it's a mm. crisis, that means it's sort of I see. prolonged.
0: Right. And yeah, and also there's a very low probability of you going right. into crisis mode and then coming out the very next day. Right.
2: Exactly. That's exactly the key thing. So in this kind of models, and you know, I was thinking about it when you were talking about how markup chains are actually computationally cheap. Hidden markup models are not, because in order to really take into account the whole series, you really have to store, you have to have a lot of memory to store for all the time series that you're analyzing, all the possible state transitions. Mm. So I say the more complicated the model is, the more states you're going to have, and the longer the time series that you're analyzing, also the more, you know, the bigger it's going to be.
1: Yeah, so I think that's a good uh, crash course in hidden Markov models. And and before we go, uh, Francesco said something really, I think, insightful before we started recording. So... Yeah. I'll let him, uh, you know, sort of send us out from this episode.
2: Yeah, so I think one of the biggest thing about hidden market models is that they're really, they can be really, really good at recognizing things that you know, but they're completely worthless for discovering new stuff. Uh, like for example, in the case of the, of the stock market, or for example, in the case of uh, the Designs Casino, you're basically looking at patterns you sort of expect, you build a model with the expectations that the system falls within uh, this series of states, but if something completely unexpected happens, these models are incredibly inflexible. Mm, you
0: don't have a model for the thing you didn't expect to happen. Exa-
2: exactly, they really rely on the real world data to fit the model in the training data. And if you de- deviate that, you're gonna, you're gonna misclassify it, or you're just gonna blatantly ignore signals that are there.
0: All right. Pretty cool. So um,
1: Um. (laughs)
0: uh, um, (laughs) Um. next week, we are going to be talking about the UM detector and specifically how this applies to the UM detector. Uh, If you listen really closely, you might actually be able to figure it out. We're also going to talk about how hidden Markov models apply to genetics. So uh, yeah, we'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Linear Digressions is a podcast about data science and machine learning produced and recorded in the studios of Udacity, a company dedicated to education. We've got some awesome courses made by people like Katie and me in data science and other tech fields. We should also remind you that all views expressed during this program were those of the speakers and not of Udacity.
1: This is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you don't mind, leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. Thank you for being here. And we'll see you next time.